One of the great chapters of the New Testament, and really, again, how can you compare them? But some, I think, speak to us differently, at least. The sixth and eighth chapter of Romans describes, especially the sixth, describes the Christian life by God's definition, not man's. And when we go through this here, the eighth chapter of the book of Romans ends on a very encouraging note. At verse 35, where it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Very encouraging words here that are summarized in the statement, nothing can separate you from Jesus Christ. There isn't anything in this world, nothing that is here now, nothing that's coming, that can separate you from Christ. And so therefore, in verse 37, the Apostle Paul writes, No, with all the things that we are going through, with all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So I take my title right from the text, More Than Conquerors, and obviously I'm not the first to ever use that title for messages given on Romans 8.37. You have to really consider it when you think about a conqueror, or we could use a victor. What is a victor? What is someone who is conquered? And of course, whether it's combat or sports, it's someone who has simply overcome. They won. In combat, in war, it's someone who has caused the enemy such irreparable damages that they surrender. And oftentimes, of course, the conqueror, the victor, occupies the country, the territory, the finances, sometimes also the people, meaning they can be put into slavery as they have been in many cases in times past, by the victor. And that's what the Bible says, you are a victor. And not just a victor, but more than a victor. More than a conqueror. In history, in the history of warfare, there's no one that won more battles than Napoleon. 48 battles, 35 he won hands down. The few that he lost, minus the last, was against overwhelming odds, much like Robert E. Lee in the American Civil War. Lee had much, much less than the North had and did very, very well. In the case of Napoleon, though he did have, obviously, his Waterloo, he was one of the most imposing generals that has ever lived. No one has had more victories in war in general. But however, Alexander the Great is the one premier leader of all time who never lost a battle, ever. Not even one. Of course, Napoleon lost, but he still has more victories than Alexander the Great, but Alexander never lost even one. Before we met Christ, we often had what is known as a Pyrrhic victory or Pyrrhic victories. Pyrrhus, King Pyrrhus, 
took on the Roman army, as so many did, and lost so badly because of the superiority of their training and of their numbers and, of course, their wealth and other things. But King Pyrrhus took on the Roman army on two different occasions. And even though on both occasions he defeated the Roman army, he suffered so many casualties that he would go on to say that if he was to go back one more time, he'd have no soldiers left at all. That's what happens when we fight on our own. That's what happens when you get engaged in something that you should have more sense to say that if I get engaged in this, I've got much more to lose than to gain. But King Pyrrhus did what was noble, and though he did win, in reality, eventually he lost. Before we came to Christ, we were anything but conquerors. We fought in our own power. We fought with our own minds, meaning our own intelligence. We fought with how we think things should be done. And I do pray today that you're not still fighting that way. And one of the signs that you are is that you're going to be exceptionally wearied and exceptionally tired. Now, everybody gets tired as they go through things and get older and all of that. But if you're fighting in your own strength, you're going to find that your victory is pyrrhic. You may win like an argument, but the energy that you put into it wasn't worth the victory. One of the greatest things that you can do to someone who's truly a fool, the greatest answer that you can give them is silence. Spare yourself the energy. Answer not a fool according to his folly. You become like them, and you have no energy left. So we have all these examples from history of great conquerors, Alexander the Great, Napoleon, there's so many. And then we have the example from Roman history of Pyrrhus, that represents you and me when we do things in our own strength. We find out the victory is not really, well, I won't say that it's not worth it. Sometimes the victory is worth it, but you have nothing left. You have to understand today, and it's in this eighth chapter. I won't read it to you. It says that as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons, the daughters of God. These are the people of God. That word led, L-E-D, means to be carried along. And one of the things that I have just recently reminded myself during my brief absence here, it was only two weeks, two Sundays, is that the church got along for 2,000 years fine without me. And if Jesus delays 2,000 more years, it'll still get along fine without me because I'm not carrying the church and the church is not carrying me, but Christ is carrying his own church, his own people. It's who Jesus is and makes us, as I'll explain in a few minutes, not just conquerors, more than conquerors. And you need to accept that. And I'll say it one more time because many of you are fighting your battles, or worse, you're fighting God's battles in your strength. Not in the closet of prayer, not with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You're fighting it in your own strength. And you're going to lose. And then you're going to look at God and you're going to ask God why. And maybe God will be kind enough to tell you that you were doing it your way not his. God's work, Hudson Taylor said, the great missionary in the 19th century to China, inland China, where no one had gone before. He said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. It will never lack God's supply. The church is never going to lack God's supply. And always remember, the church is not a building. It's not an organization, a denomination, or a fellowship. It's you. You're the ecclesia. You're the called out ones. It's you and me. And God has told us repeatedly, he will supply all of our needs, whatever they may be. He's going to supply our needs, but remember that we have to have faith, we have to believe, 
When you're walking in unknown territory, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, when everything is up against you, and we see this so often in the life of Israel, when they did walk with God, they were so often outnumbered. In fact, I don't know of an instance where they were in the majority. Every battle that I remember, just off the top of my head, they were always outnumbered, going into the land of Canaan. They were outnumbered. There was walled cities. There was giants. The odds were always against them, but God always shows himself strong in the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect towards him. He's looking throughout the earth. His eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth. And if nobody sees us here in this small part of the world, God does. And so we have all of this before you. Sun Tzu, who wrote the book, The Art of War, was written in the 6th century before Christ, B.C., he said that battles are won before they're fought. It means that you have a plan. Now, for those of you who have served, by the way, happy Veterans Day for all of you who have served. If you were deployed and if you were in a very hot zone or a tough battle, you might already know that a battle plan is only good as the first bullet fired. And Eisenhower said something to the effect of that he never found that any of his plans worked, but planning was essential. And so we could talk about that for just a moment, that we have got to start planning our lives to implement and appropriate this statement that we are more than conquerors. There is no reason at all for us as Christians in any country, but here in America, to step back from all the ungodliness that we see going on in all areas of life. There's no reason for us to step back. There's no reason for us to have to flinch, to have to apologize for everything. I have no intention of doing that. I always tell you this one thing. It's a credo of mine. I didn't write this book. God wrote the book. Why would I want to amend it? Why would I be ashamed of it? I'm supposed to be a representative of the book. But so are you. And we don't have to take a step back. Again, we don't have to go for Pyrrhic victories just to prove who's right. You're going to waste a lot of energy. But we better be found in the closet of prayer. And we better bring our children to church services. Because I'm telling you what I see coming if Jesus delays his coming. I see a lot of problems for a lot of young people who have children. Whose children are not brought up in the church. And even if you say, well, many children brought up in the church walk away from it. At least your conscience and your hands are clean. You did your best to communicate the gospel, bring them to a church like ours, where we have some fine teachers dedicated to bringing them up in the way of the Lord, in the word of God. We need to wake up. We need to understand that we are more than conquerors. Let me go a little further. Parents have got to understand that God put you in charge, not your children. Now, if there's some young person sitting here or hears this and doesn't like it, I don't care. Because here in this church, I'm in charge. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> Challenge me, find out. Now, I'm not in charge of the church across the street or the church behind me, but I'm in charge here. And I have no intention of backing off because someone didn't like the message or they're big givers and whatever. Well, the truth is we lost those people a long time ago. To appropriate the fact, in other words, to really live it out, not just to quote it, but to really live it out, we're going to have to live by faith. And prove that we are not just victors, conquerors, but we are more than conquerors and live that out in our life. You see, Jesus said, you are the light of the world and you can't hide a light under a bushel. Nobody lights a light and then puts a cover over it. I mean, a full cover over it. What's the sense? You're already in the dark. You turned on the light bulb so you could see. 
And that's what this book is. This book is written so you can see. Jesus talked about the blindness of the Pharisees. He says that you think you see, but you're blind. And my friend, this can happen to you. You think you see because you can quote a verse. But what's really important is, are you living proof to yourself and to others that you are actually more than a conqueror? We were not called to be cowards. We were not called to go skulking around like mice that go run up the side of walls. We were called to walk in the light as he is in the light. And that means the way we behave and the way we live. You should not be ashamed of your behavior today. You should be planning that the devil will knock on your door with accusation. What you got to be sure is, is that he's not telling the truth. Jesus said, the prince of this world comes, but he has nothing in me. Now, we are not the same as Jesus naturally, but we have to make sure that we truly believe we are washed. And then sanctified in a daily existence, living with the Lord so that we can once again prove and demonstrate we are more than conquerors. And so with this, there's a quote I couldn't find who came up with this quote, but it says this, God gives his strongest battles to his best soldiers, or God gives his hardest battles to his strongest soldiers. Some years ago, someone and I, we were talking, and I was just sharing some things I was going through, and the man, the brother said to me, he said, did you thank God for the compliment? I didn't know what he meant at the time. And I said, what compliment? I was having troubles. He said that God knows that you're strong enough to overcome them. And that's what God does. God tests. I went through this with you last week. God tests his servants. Always has, always will. And that doesn't mean that you're exempt. And some of you already know that by experience. That you've not been exempted from the trials and testing of your faith. But we have the ability to be more than conquerors. Here's a woman in July of 1967... Young girl at the time, 17 years old, athlete, very bright, creative, and so on. Jumped into the Chesapeake Bay, but did not understand the shallowness of where she was diving. Broke the fourth and fifth vertebrae of her neck, been paralyzed ever since. And during that period of convalescence, this 17-year-old girl naturally went through a period of depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts and questioned her faith in God. Then she learned little by little how to paint with her teeth. To this day, she's written 40 books and articles, either with her teeth or now where we have voice recognition. But back in the late 60s and 70s and all of that, Johnny Erickson Tata did it with a pencil in her teeth. Let me ask you at this point in time, as I'm going to be presenting Examples to you of people who have overcome, no one I see here is quadriplegic. So what's your excuse for not being all that you could be in Christ? Tell me what's your excuse. Tell me what's holding you back. I've heard it all in 46 years, going on 47 years in ministry. There is not one single case that deals with human nature that I've not heard or dealt with personally. And I hear a lot of people who say things that sounds like it's, well, it's just an obstacle, but it's not. It's an excuse. It's an excuse to not appropriate this here. Look at what the Apostle Paul talks about. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Then he goes through the things that cannot take us from Christ. What excuse are you using to stay weak? Weak in Christ. What excuse are you using? 
What excuse are you using to announce your sin over and over and over again, year after year, rather than conquering it? Because what it is, is an excuse. Because the book says different things about us. And Johnny Erickson Tata, as you know, is a Christian, a very powerful Christian. And she had a handicap that she used to her advantage and to the glory of God. What's your excuse? When we compare, and I'll name you a few more. When you start to compare yourself to people who have had what seem to be insurmountable obstacles, I think you'll feel better about going out today and changing things for yourself and become more than a conqueror, not just in theory, but in practice. So your family and your friends will all notice there's something different. That you are more than a conqueror through him that loved us. There's a rabbinical tradition that says that Samson was born with a limp. Now, I can't validate that. I don't see that in the book. But that's a rabbinical tradition that Samson was actually born with a limp. But we do know that at the end of his life, he was blind. That we know from the book. And we know that he killed more enemies in the end of his life when he was blinded by his own sin now than he did all through his life when he was, well, mostly healthy, if the rabbinical tradition is true. Cushim was hard of hearing. Ehud, we read of him in the book of Genesis. This is rabbinical tradition again. Says that he had a withered hand. He's the one that freed Israel as one of the judges. And Mephibosheth, you remember him? Mephibosheth was crippled in his feet. And he was saved by David and on and on. There's so many people, both Christian and secular, that have overcome seemingly insurmountable obstacles because of either their belief that they could in what we would call human potential. For us, as I mentioned human potential, I always think of how much more should we be if we have what we claim we have, if we have what this book claims we have. We have the mind of Christ, that's what the book says. But do we? Or are your victories pyrrhic? Are you worn out, wearing yourself out at the door because you're doing it your way instead of God's way? That's what makes us more than conquerors. That's why we don't get victory in so many areas of our lives. Because we're just reading the Bible instead of appropriating it through faith. And that's how we become more than conquerors. And it's very, very interesting. If you look at this phrase here, for those of you who take the time to look things up in the Greek that underlines the English Bible, our English Bibles, that the Apostle Paul uses the expression more than conquerors as three words for us, but one word in Greek. And some have defined it as a super conqueror. That doesn't speak so well for me, but that's one way that some define a super conqueror. And what is being said here is that we have appropriated, well, if we appropriate it, we have gotten something that we didn't earn, that it was given to us, that we were able to overcome many things in this life and eventually give the glory to God. Give the glory to God. You know, throughout Christian history, it's a sad note to think that so many people who claim to be a follower of Christ, a Christian, whatever name they go by, that the community and maybe their own family doesn't see the difference. That's when I quoted to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where it says, examine yourself, see if you're actually in the faith. Again, I didn't write it. The Apostle Paul wrote it. Same one that wrote the book of Romans. Examine yourself today. Are you really, are you a super conqueror? It doesn't mean a superhero. It just means that we've been given things by God that nobody else can have. If we go by John chapter 3, you must be born again. In this eighth chapter, it tells us we have the spirit of God. 
Think about that. We have the Spirit of God. And though we fall six times, no seven, we get up again. And we don't give in and we don't give up and we don't go around testifying. Listen, testifying to the devil. You say, what do you say? I don't testify to the devil. Every time you talk about this thing you've had all your life, you're giving a testimony to either your own sin or the devil or both. A testimony is when you say, this is what I used to be, but I'm not anymore. A testimony is when others can see it. <clears throat> and they recognize that you are not what you used to be. And they ask, what changed you? And then you tell them, Jesus. Jesus. No need to tell American people that this country needs Jesus. We don't need as much Republicans or other parties as much as we need God. I'm on social media enough, not as much as I used to be. I'm getting tired of it. And listening to people who have the right ideas, but they don't come up with the right answer. We need God. We need Christ. We need preachers to be preachers. We need preachers themselves to be appropriating the fact that in the pulpit they have the power because that's what they live day by day. That they're not afraid of the faces of men. How about you? Can you say today, my testimony... If you were in a court of law, I'm proving I'm a super conqueror. Or are you simply going around week after week, week after week, using as an excuse why you can't overcome this and that and the other thing? Now, I'm not going to go through my own testimony today, but I don't stand here as someone who began strong. I stand here today as someone who began very, very weak and hopeless, according to the doctors. But that didn't satisfy me. And then I met Jesus grabbed the hold of the hem of his garment and said, if I can touch him, I shall be made whole. And let me tell you another thing. Just because you're older, you say, well, it's all over for me. I got news for you. It's been all over for you for a long, long time. You're in this condition now because you never really appropriated the fact that you're more than a conqueror and you're satisfied in yourself instead of giving glory to God. Your life, my life, was designed to give glory to God, not glory to yourself Poor me. I can't. I have this handicap. Johnny Erickson taught him. There's many. There's a few more I'm going to name for you to encourage you, both secular and Christian, that saw their obstacle as the way. Because most of us came to Christ when we were at our lowest point, not our highest point. And I'll add one more thing. It's a shame that in our political realm, how many politicians use us just simply for our vote. Many of them could care less what becomes of us in many ways, but they use us. Well, that is what it is, and it's probably not going to change. But my message today is, are you actually more than a conqueror? Or are you going around all the time just talking about, this is the way I've always been, this is the way I was born. Well, you're born again. And with reference to your age, whether you have this much time left on earth or this much time, you still have time to change it. You still have time to change it. During my convalescence here in this last month of October, I kept considering this one thing. I'm not quite 70. I'm getting closer. But my goal was to be like Caleb so that when I'm 80, I can say I'm as strong now as when we came out of the land. Give me that mountain. And I didn't hear God specifically ask me, do you still want it? But I answered anyway. I still want it. I don't want to be a sick, excuse-making weakling and then use my age as an excuse. Because that's not what the Bible presents to us. The Bible presents to us real heroes that conquered their own fears. They conquered their own anxieties, their own depressions. And look through the Bible. There was plenty of prophets and teachers that were depressed 
but they overcame it. And we overcome it by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony so that we can show and demonstrate we are more than conquerors, or as one fellow puts it, a super conqueror. Because we give the glory to God. We give the glory to Christ. One of my favorite heroes in history is Sergeant Alvin York in the First World War. He single-handedly captured an entire German battalion. Now, briefly, his story is this. He was a drunkard. He was a fighter. He made fun of the church. He disdained the church in this small town in Tennessee. So finally, one day, God got his attention and he became converted. And after he was converted, then he was drafted into the army. But from reading the Bible, he was under the impression that he must now be a pacifist. He couldn't shoot his gun until a sergeant who knew the Bible, maybe even knew the Lord as well, convinced him about the necessity of war. It's in there. doesn't mean we go around starting them. It just means it's necessary at times to have a war that's actually ordained of God. And he was a sharpshooter because he lived in Tennessee. They hunt for their food, or did. And so with his rifle, all by himself, he caused an entire German army to retreat after he single-handedly captured a German battalion. Killed at least 25 by himself. Took the rest captive. Sort of like the Battle of Little Round Top when they just assumed that they were outnumbered and they weren't. Confederate army convinced the northern contingent that they were outnumbered, but they weren't. They were just fixing their bayonets to die, but it was assumed that they had superior firepower and surrendered. Guess what, folks? It's in this book, Old and New Testaments. We have superior firepower. And the problem is we don't believe it. We believe that if you're in a mega church and there's 10, 20,000 people, we're strong. That's a mistake. How many times, think about, you go through your book and think about Gideon, who God says, you know, I can't conquer with this many people. Send them home. Two-thirds of them went home, and he says, you still have too many people. Send them home, down to 300. And he conquers with 300, and why? Because God always wants to prove himself to be God. And you, my friend, my brother, my sister, you're supposed to exemplify that power in your life by becoming more than a conqueror in real life. And don't forget, you're going to be tested. If you forget that, you're going to think it's all just a bed of roses. You claim the verse, you have a little prayer, everything is fine. No, you're going to be tested. And by God himself, last week's message. And then, of course, you're going to be tested by Satan and your own sin and on and on. But we are more than conquerors. This phrase, by the way, this is the only time it's used in the New Testament. So I'm asking you today, what is it you're up against? Some of you can name it. Some of us here have talked about it. What are you up against that has so now dominated your mind that you think you cannot change? When the book says we are more than conquerors, goes through a list of things, there's more, goes through a list of things that says not this or this or this or this, and I could add in there fear and anxiety and depression and weakness and death and all the, well, death is mentioned, all of these things. Don't use it as an excuse, it's an obstacle. And the obstacles for the Christian truly filled with the Spirit of God was designed to be overcome. Designed to be overcome. I was recently looking at the life of Karen Carpenter, for those of you old enough to remember. What a voice, what songs. But many of the Carpenter's songs was written by another person, Paul Williams. He's only maybe this big. Not a very imposing looking individual, but he's written 125 songs. He's had popular hits with Three Dog Night. The Carpenters had a few songs written by Paul Williams, and there's others that he's written for. 
And when I look at Karen Carpenter, who suffered from anorexia nervosa, she was suffering when she was singing. She was suffering when she was performing. But she continued to perform, and of course, one day that anorexia took her life. Paul Williams is still alive. And just to throw this in as an aside, has nothing really to do with the biblical message. Harold Jenkins had 55 number one hits. This is just a little, no extra cost. Conway Twitty, 55 number one hits. What makes him different than the next guy is confidence. Now, not in Christ necessarily, but just the sense of human potential. And we cannot deny human potential. You'd have to deny history itself to see what people have done under a four-minute mile and so on and so forth. And I say again, if they can do that without Christ, without giving glory to God, what should we be able to do Amen. with Christ? Amen. We have the mind of Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. These got to become more than little catchphrases, even though they're from the Bible. They've got to be work in the average Christian's life so that you are actually showing to the world and to yourself at the same time that you are actually in reality more than a conqueror. And again, let me remind you, you will be tested. If you're afraid to be alone, you're going to be alone, at least at periods. If you're afraid to lose friends, you're going to lose friends. Whatever it is you fear, God is going to bring you to it and say, do it. If you balk, well, you'll never know. And I'm not even going so far as to say that you're going to miss heaven. I'm just simply saying, it's all just talk. It's all just talk. And God is saying, I don't want you just to be all talk. I want you to demonstrate my power to the world. If not to the world, demonstrate it to yourself that these things can be overcome. I've studied secular works that are proving in science in Harvard and other places that some of the things written in the Bible, though they don't always intentionally try to validate the Bible or validating the things that are in the Bible. I found this over and over again, no matter what I study. If it's true, it has a way of validating what we already have in the scriptures. We should be way ahead of the game. Unfortunately, for many, many people, we're not that far ahead of the game. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles. I want to read a few verses. Chapter 20, 2 Chronicles, verse 3. King Jehoshaphat is up against it. They are being attacked by the Ammonites and Moabites and the children of Mount Seir. When Jehoshaphat hears of these numbers, they're outnumbered. Verse 3 says, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Remember, it's our Father which art in heaven, not our Father which is in Washington. Ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen. And he still does. And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? Verse 12. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh up against thee. He's, he's a realist. Neither know we what to do. He was honest. But our eyes are upon thee. Verse 14. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mahaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. 
And he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Verse 17. Ye shall not need to fight. Now this is more than a conqueror. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Verse 20. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, that they should praise the beauty of holiness, as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord! For his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Verse 26, And on the fourth day they assembled themselves in the valley of Beracha, which means blessing, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore the name of the same place was called the valley of Beracha. Unto this day, then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem, and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them, to go against to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies, and they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets unto the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries, when they had heard that the Lord fought against the enemies of Israel, so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest round about. Consider in this short story here how Jehoshaphat starts out. He feared when he heard the report. No different than you or me. Initial report, you're afraid. But then it says he set himself to seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. And then God speaks to Jehaziel and he announces, Thus saith the Lord, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, very similar to what Moses was told at the Red Sea with the armies of the Egyptians behind them. Stand still. That's the last thing you want to do when you're in trouble. The anxiety is getting to you. You're trying to move around. You can't stop either moving or talking. And God says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And the ambushments were sent against the Ammonites and Moabites. They were beginning to fight each other. And Jehoshaphat gets the victory, but God gets the glory. And that's the same for your life. God is to get the glory. But listen to me. There's no way in the world God's getting glory if we continue to wallow in these very sins that God saved us from. As a matter of fact, you better consider this, and I'm not advocating perfection. Nobody knows better than those closest to me that I'm not a perfect man. But if your life, and you attend church this one or another one, and you read the Bible, and you claim to be a Christian, yet your lifestyle is exactly the same either as it was or as the people around you, and they're turned off from Christ. That burden is lying on you. How do I know that? It's in the book of Ezekiel. The best thing that you can do is tell your friends, I'm really not living the lifestyle. I'm not living the way I should. 
Oh, and I'm not talking just about drugs and adultery. These are the ones we accent the most. I'm talking about all types of habits. Here and throughout the Bible, the chief thing that people have got to, the people of God have got to overcome is fear. Here in America at the moment, it looks like we're losing. But that's only how it appears. Christ said the gates of hell shall not prevail against you. So we're not supposed to be sitting back, swallowing up our tears, licking them off our lips. We're supposed to believe the Lord and stand firm and see the salvation of God. Because, like Jehoshaphat, who is an example, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Let me say something about that. Until you fully accept that God loves you, based on 1 Peter 5, 7, where he says, casting all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you, you're not going to be able to reflect love because you haven't received it. And it's not that God is holding it back. And God is not hiding. He's looking for that one that will believe him and say, as I quote so frequently, I can do all things through Christ. Not somebody else and somebody's testimony. Yours. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens or which strengthens me. I can do it. Until the little people, I say little, I mean you're little in your own eyes. And so was David. He was little in his own eyes. Yet he had great faith in a God whose expanses cannot be measured. Whose knowledge cannot be measured. His power cannot be measured. Not by anyone. Not at any time. Not here nor in eternity. And faith in that God, the one true God, so that once again, man gets the victory, God gets the glory. Are you living a victorious life? Or are you the reason people say, I'm not going to that church. For that matter, I'm not going to any church. I run into these people, and this is what I tell them. A young man I just talked to a couple months ago. Had a very bad experience in the church, and it happened to do with the pastor. An action that I flat out told them, that's outrageous what he did. It never should be done, but now he's not interested in going back to church at all. Him and I get along fine, but I figure I give him his space because he was turned off. If I went through the action, I won't. You would say to yourself, what in the world is going on with these pastors? And it was a direct offense. But for you, you've got to make sure that there's going to be, and there is now, a great falling away. You've got to make sure you're not part of it. That you're the one standing firm in the word. And again, not really iterating and going through excuses why you can't overcome, you're so weak, and this and that and the other thing. Overcome it, because we are more than conquerors. That's what God's word declares. Now, you have to decide, do you really believe it? Do you believe it to the point that you're going to leave here today and say to yourself, I'm going to begin to prove this. Are you going to leave here today after 30, 40, 50 years in the Lord and finally go out and become more than a conqueror in the ability to demonstrate it? With your intellect, with your words, with your behavior, what you will, what you will not do, all based on the word of God. And that's what we need today. If you love your country, America I'm talking about, for that matter, for all of our friends all over who are watching, if you love your country, then stand for Christ. Don't flinch. Don't give in for the false teachers and the false prophets and those that are perverting the gospel of Christ and make a stand and prove that you are more than a conqueror. And more than that, God is always much more glorified in the weakest of us than in the strongest of us. Because as I just pointed out with Gideon, Jehoshaphat, and there's so many others, we know that these are the people that God used. This is what we see in 1 Corinthians. 
How we know that not many noble, not many mighty are called. We don't see all the big shots here. Or for that matter, at any church. There's a few around, but not much. He calls ordinary, average people, weak people, just like you. And he makes them strong. Amen. He takes the weak people and makes them strong. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Verse 3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Verse 32, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, Escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness. Notice this. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, cut in half. They were tempted. Slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. God's plan is still being worked out. And we're part of this long line of biblical heroes. So you have to decide if you're going to be more than a conqueror, as the Bible says you are, or just going to be the same old, same old. I believe there's an advantage to being raised in the church from a child, because you know the scriptures. But there's also a disadvantage. The disadvantage is like a vaccine. You can get just enough of the gospel to immunize you to the whole picture. And so you think you know, and you don't. Because the person who knows their God shall be strong and do exploits. That's in the book. Advantage and disadvantage. If we were raised in the gospel, is an advantage. You know the scriptures better than most. Disadvantage is you know too much that has now inoculated you, and you can't ever seem to get free. So what you've decided to do is do God a favor and just simply talk about your weakness as though that really pleases him. And it doesn't. Because I just read to you that without faith, it's impossible to please him. Impossible. In your pain, in your sickness, in your weakness, in all of these things that are up against you right now, this very day, overcome them in the name of Jesus Christ, and God will get the glory. God will get the glory, and you get the victory. It's a win-win. I won't ask you, because I know every week is the same. Same thing. How many of you are up against it right now? I know that the hands are all going to go up. Okay, fine. I'm up against it, same as you, sometimes worse than you. But I'm not giving up. Amen. I'm not giving them. Yes. When the fires of hell come to test me and tempt me, I don't like it. I don't like it any more than you like it, but I'm not giving up. Amen. I started with Jesus. I'm going to end with Jesus, God willing. Amen. That's how I started. That's how you started. Now stop looking at your obstacles and say, oh, this prevents me from being what I could have been. No, it didn't. No, it did not. You have become your own worst enemy. And we like to blame all kinds of people for all types of troubles. 
But in the end, you decide in Christ who you will be and what you will be in Christ. A pastor at Notre Dame has a way of testing those that are going to be baptized into the faith. What he does is he takes a jar of jelly beans and he asks the students that are candidates for baptism to guess how many jelly beans are in the jar. Then he takes a separate sheet and he asks them to list their favorite songs. After he reveals exactly how many jelly beans were in the jar and they had their answers, he asks them about their favorite songs and they have their answers. And he asks them this question, what is easier to do? Guess how many jelly beans are in the jar or what is your favorite song? And everyone always says, it's easier to state what's my favorite song. And that's what faith is. It's not a guess. It's not a roll of the dice. It's not, I hope this works. God doesn't honor that. Believe ye me? This is what God says. And he expects us to believe. Amen. And believe to the point that our faith actually has legs. And we take a step to overcome those things inside of ourselves, inside of our minds. Those things that we've justified and rationalized that God says is wrong. And this is what we need. And until we do, God forbid, we're going to end up like ancient Israel. When God says, you know what? Stop the music. Stop the sacrifices. Stop the communion service. I'm not listening anymore. You don't obey me. You don't obey me. I was intrigued when I saw this here. And I want to just share it with you. You may have seen it too. It's the story of Thomas Edison. And when he was in grade school, he was handed a note that he was instructed to give to his mother. So he gave the paper to his mother, and his mom read out loud these words, Your son is a genius. This school is too small for him and doesn't have enough good teachers for training him. Please teach him yourself. Well, Edison is Edison. He went on to be probably the greatest inventor. This is a debatable point, but... A great inventor, no doubt, one of the greatest ever, Thomas Edison. Well, his mother had long since passed away, and his successes were his successes, and was rummaging through some old things, and he found the note that was given to him by the teacher to give to his mother. And he took it out, and he read these words. Thomas Alva Edison, by a hero mother, became the genius of the century. And why is that? Because this is what the note said. Your son is mentally ill. We won't let him come to school anymore. The actual note said, we're not accepting him. He's mentally ill. Michael Jordan was told to take up math. That's where the money is. But the mother had more faith. She changed the note from the teacher and said, your son's a genius. We can't teach him here. Teach him yourself. And what I want to share with you in that story is the power of words. Not necessarily biblical words. But maybe, just maybe, we have read verses too often so that we are inoculated to their actual power. You are more than conquerors. And we've read it so many times that it no longer has the effect. And I'm hoping today by the power of the Holy Spirit, it will have its effect. Amen. Satan is the one reading you the note saying, the obstacle's too big, you're never going to make it. Just tell God you're sorry and live in your weakness Live in your can't do, won't do, wish I could. Live in your excuses. Live with your excuses. That's Satan. Jesus never said that. The apostles and prophets never said those things. We are more than conquerors through him that loved. More than conquerors. Because God gave us the victory. And I'll say it one more time. It's not enough now to just say it. 
People are having their reservations and doubts, not based on what the Bible says, as much as the lack of testimonies from professing Christians. Which one will you be? You're going to keep going along with your excuses? I'm too old. You ever visit the museum over here with Grandma Moses? Have you heard the testimony of Harlan Sanders? He made money. He had a few businesses, but he never became rich and famous until he was 65, sleeping in his car, trying to sell a little recipe to anybody that would take it, and nobody wanted it. Till one small place in Utah decided to take it, and the rest is history. These are secular examples, even though Harlan Sanders came to Christ late in his life, his late 80s. He realized he needed Christ. What's your excuse? Tell me. Well, don't tell me. What's your excuse? What is it? Had a tough life? Isn't everybody on TV had a tough life? Everybody's had a tough life. It's an excuse. I hear people talk about where they were raised. Well, my mom is here today, so she knows where we were raised. These weren't wealthy neighborhoods. Moquette Row, where we lived, was a housing development built in the 1800s for carpet mill workers. When I came here, they were explaining all to me about the carpet mills. My grandfather was a loom fixer. I got his tools in my office. I knew about it. You overcome because you're more than the conqueror. Years ago, I read the biography of Helen Keller. And you want to read a good biography? That's an interesting biography. Look at all the things that she overcame. She was deaf and she was blind. But you know how she was taught by Ann Sullivan how to figure out things through her fingers and whatever else. And listen to this. Here's some of her accomplishments. She was the first deaf, blind person to earn a bachelor's degree. But you can't do it because you're just not smart enough. She was blind and she was deaf. And she did it through ambition authored her own autobiography, The Story of My Life. He traveled to 35 countries as a lecturer advocating for people with disabilities. She was America's first goodwill ambassador to Japan. She earned from President Roosevelt the Distinguished Service Medal and the Presidential Medal of Honor. And if you don't know what that is, that's the equivalent to the Medal of Honor, Presidential Medal of Freedom, rather, as equivalent to the Medal of Honor in combat. And she was deaf and she was blind. What is your excuse? What is your handicap? What is keeping you back from giving glory to God in a world that is so incredibly dark that it needs the light of Christ in our lives? And might I add, like Johnny Erickson Tata, Helen Keller wrote 40 books published. How many have you written? 40. And all the articles that went with it. And she was blind and she was deaf. George Washington Carver, you remember him? He discovered 300 uses for the peanut. How many have you discovered? Back in the world, the only thing we knew about the peanut is that they were given to us with our beer. You can crush them and put them in your mouth. George Washington Carver, and I won't take the time to read it today, testified again and again, born again when he was 10 years old, believed that everything that the scriptures taught about would lead us to other things, which, by the way, I believe also. I haven't discovered any more uses for the peanut than you, but this is a man who went on to say, when they asked him how did he discover all these things about the peanut, he said, that was easy. I got it out of the Bible. But you say, well, there's not anything about peanuts in there. But the principles behind science and the principles behind other things, I read it to you last week in Psalm 119. Makes us wiser, stronger, and all these things. That's the promise. How many of you are going to reach out today and touch the hem of Jesus' garment and live it? And really appropriate it. As you know, we're not exactly in the Bible belt here. 
Oh, I want to mention the fact also that Washington Carver was born a slave. And so we go on and we go on and we go on and we go on through people in history, both secular and Christian, who overcame insurmountable obstacles based on desire for the secular, based on God-given talents that's given to everybody, talents. But then we come to Christ where we claim, well, we have it better. Well, I think it's about time that we prove it. I think it's about time that when we pray, we actually will be disappointed if God doesn't answer. Many people go to prayer just expecting, well, <laughs> it's going to work anyway, but then why are you praying? I won't pray if I don't believe God's going to answer. And I mean that. I pray because I really believe God's going to answer. If he alters the decision, he says, well, this is better. That's fine with me. The hour is getting late. We're getting closer and closer to the coming of Christ. What report will you give him? Will you give him the same excuses you give to others or to me? It's not going to work. You're going to be hanging your head in front of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of him at his coming. Be like the man who invested five talents, ten talents, and came back with ten more and five more. Because they overcame the obstacles and proved, like the Apostle Paul, that they were more than conquerors through him that loved us. What's your decision today? What is it you fear? Look it straight in the eye. You say, what is this? Well, the object is not what becomes of you one way or the other. The object is you're not going to stand in fear. You're not going to fear. Same goes for depression. Depression is an awful thing. I've had it all. There's not much you can teach me on the subject. But I know that he's the help of my countenance. Are you living below your potential? Many of you are. Well, you know what? You have to decide. Stop making excuses. You see, we're called the time for truth. And if we're going to be real, then we have to tell the truth. God's not holding you back. And Pastor Ray's not holding you back, and neither is anybody else. You're holding yourself back. Will you be? That's the question. In this age, in demonstration and in power, more than a conqueror. Just briefly, as we close in prayer, just consider what was said. The truth of it is no one's holding you back. Your rough upbringing, your tough neighborhood, the breaks you didn't get, on and on. They're all excuses. There's plenty of people that have had more obstacles than you have and overcame. God is looking for you to be demonstrative. You're demonstrating that you're more than a conqueror. As Caleb and Joshua demonstrated that they were strong because they trusted the Lord in reality. So with our heads bowed and our hearts bowed before the Lord, I'm going to ask you to decide to take this verse in Romans 8:37 and apply it to your heart. And keep in mind that sin is not just doing things you shouldn't do. It's not doing things you're supposed to be doing. Very quickly, I'll give you an example. We see all of these people coming across our borders illegally. I'm not for that. Don't misunderstand me. But it dawned on me one day that we no longer have to go overseas. They're coming right to our cities. And they need Jesus just as much as anybody else. Amen. I'm not supporting illegal immigration. I'm simply saying now that it's here, you could be a missionary. People need Christ. The whole world needs Christ. It's just simply a point of view. Change an evil into a good. In any case, what will you be? Will you live the rest of your days on this earth as more than a conqueror, unashamed of Jesus, unashamed of this gospel, knowing we don't live in the Bible Belt? You're not going out to dinner today where everybody's going to be praying over their meals. You may be the only one, but don't be ashamed to do it. Father, I pray for my friends here today that we could all rise to the occasion in this day and in this age and not just quote verses which in effect have no effect. 
but to go through the obstacle, around the obstacle, under the obstacle, over the obstacle, and get the victory and become more than conquerors, and we will give you, naturally, the glory. Father, we bless you and we praise you today. For as the scripture says, you are great and you are greatly to be praised. And we give you all the glory and we give you all of the honor and we give you all of the praise today. Help your people to consider, very much consider, giving up their excuses and looking at the obstacles and saying, you shall be moved. This mountain shall be removed. Remember Zechariah? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's what it says. I pray today that you've made a good decision to simply just say to yourself, you know, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of this fear and this excuse making, this complaining. Today, I have made up my mind to prove, though it may take time, to prove that I am more than a conqueror. So I pray that that decision was yours today. We'll continue to pray for you as you continue to pray for me and my family. So, Father, we bless you and praise you. For you, O God, are great and greatly to be praised. You commanded us to love you first, above and beyond every other thing. My experience is that Christians say that, but they don't do it. Help us to do it. Always have you first, everywhere we go. And then, God, the secondly, is to cut through the nonsense and actually love one another and be concerned about each other. Don't mean we have to like each other. And it certainly means that no one in any congregation is perfect. But let our love be perfect and without hypocrisy. We'll give you all the praise. We'll give you all the glory. We'll give you all the honor today. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen with me today? Amen.